you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists, like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. Hey, everybody. What's up? Welcome to Move the Sticks. DJ Bucky here, and we have our annual draft press conference, I guess what we call that thing. It's going to come up <laughs> a little bit on the show today, Buck. But we, uh, we got some business to get to at the top here because you, you done did it. You got yourself a new mock draft. Oh, man, there's nothing more that I love than pissing a bunch of people <laughs> off with a mock draft that doesn't have any trades or anything like that, like it's really happening. But I love that people really get excited about a fictional exercise. So let's have that. Yeah, do you, are we allowed to say that? I, I, I thought we'd sprinkle that in. You sprinkle that in a little bit. I like that. Uh, no, that look. There is a there is actually by the way I just figured this out. You know you can go on nfl.com and make your own. Oh man, you should they have it. Every What's day. that thing called? You guys know what that's called behind the glass? It's like it's kind of you can fill in your own mock draft. Uh I I should know this. It uh, exists. Let's but see. it's pretty cool. I would have done that as a kid. If I love I love the draft. Slash mock drafts, you can find them all and yeah, I'm I'm assuming but, you yeah, can make your own. Yeah, but there's definitely there's definitely a way where you can make your own. Uh I hope it's nfl.com or else I'm fan ballot? some other some other site. Um, Let's see. Yes. <laughs> oh no no no. That's that's oh, post. Well, that's hey post Sally, draft. you work on that for I'll the next few it. minutes and cool. get back to us on that. Let's get to Bucky's <laughs> mock though. Uh, while we're going here, Buck. And, and there you have it. Number one, Cleveland <clears throat> Browns, Josh Allen, uh, the number one overall pick. Something we've been talking about for a while. By the way, folks are folks are just they're losing their minds over this whole thing. Oh, they are. They they're, they're losing their minds and. I love the theory, by the way, that the media is, is creating this narrative to drive interest in the draft. <laughs> that's, Come on. that's what we do. We Come just on. drop nuggets without any knowledge. We just like to talk to people all day and just say, hey, you know who's going to get picked number one? Yeah. Whatever. So back, back to Josh Allen and the Cleveland Browns connection. Hey, look, when you look at Josh Allen, he's a bit of a unicorn. He's big. He's athletic. He has A-plus arm talent. Um, he has all the things that coaches just drool over when they see him throw and shorts. And, look, he's been a bit of a combine superstar ever since he's kind of gotten away from the process of playing football. His stock has increased because people are fascinated by the talent. All of us are egotistical. We all believe that we have the secret sauce to unlock 
some of the potential that lies within a lot of players. And so coaches have seen Josh Allen, and they believe that he could be this special player if they can just fix some of the stuff, accuracy, some of the decision-making, and the like. But for me, the reason the connection makes sense, when you look at John Dorsey, and you pointed this out to me, he's consistently picked projections upside upside over proven production. Like that's his track record. That's his history. Last year he did Pat Mahomes over Deshaun Watson. His first draft he took Eric Fisher over Luke Jokel. You look at some of the picks that he's been involved with in previous stops. It has always been the guy who have prototypical physical dimensions with outstanding upside over some guys who may have been better players, but they seem like they tapped out. So, For me, because they have a quarterback in place in Tyrod Taylor that obviously they feel good about, they are swinging for the fences. This is a Giancarlo Stanton-type cut, (laughs) trying to knock it all the way out of Yankee Stadium. If they hit on Josh Allen and he becomes what some thinks he could be, it ends up being a very, very good pick for the Cleveland Browns. I just wonder when it's all said and done, if we do get down to the very, very end, if at that point in time you just say, you know what, I just can't do it. Uh, I mean, I got to be a little bit more conservative here and, and go back to. Uh, I mean, you put yourself off. under the scope. I mean, you put yourself under the scope when you. It is a no fear. It is a no fear, no flinch mentality to, I do, mean, to it, take Josh. It is. Out. I mean, we could even ask our own Charlie Castley. Because uh, when Charlie went back and took Mario Williams over Reggie Bush, there was a lot of uproar over how could you take a defense alignment over Reggie Bush at the time when Reggie Bush came out. He was kind of the consensus number one player on most boards. And Charlie opted for the guy, Mario Williams, who was dominant, but that year didn't go well for his team, and the backlash from all of that fought, like led him to kind of be let go. I think with Cleveland, if you're John Dorsey, you can take this swing, this risk, maybe the first year of your tenure, um, and just go for it. The thing that you have to do is you have to know exactly what you're getting and who he is. And I think if they understand he's a developmental prospect, he's a guy who has never been um, – capable of throwing over 60% of his passes, not in high school, not in junior college, not at Wyoming. Um, This is who he is, and you need to build that offense with that in mind. Then maybe Josh Allen to be fine. The good thing is he has a guy in Todd Haley as an offensive coordinator who has worked with a similar stature guy and Ben Roethlisberger and found a way to help him become a very, very good pass. I'm going to rip through your top ten here, and then uh, we'll discuss a couple more things real quick, and then we'll get to this press conference. Uh, Bradley Chubb, so the Giants pass on Sam Darnold. Bradley Chubb at two. Sam Darnold there to the Jets at three. I think that's a dream scenario for the Jets. Saquon Barkley at four, so the Browns end up with Josh Allen and Barkley. Josh Rosen at five to Denver. Quentin Nelson at six to the Colts. Derwin James, seven, Tampa. Denzel Ward goes to the Bears at 8. Tremaine Edmonds at 9 to the Niners. And uh, Roquan Smith at 10 to the Raiders. Anything uh, in, you put in here, Buck, that you had to kind of struggle over, had a hard time? Oh, did together? I wrestle with the entire thing? Um, <laughs> I, I think the big, I guess the tipping points for me are at 5 with the Denver Broncos. What do you do? You just brought in Case Keenum. Um, if Josh Rosen is sitting there, if you're John Elway, do you bypass an opportunity um, to get a quarterback in Josh Rosen, who to me is the most polished, most pro-ready quarterback of them all, or do you take a position player that can help your defense uh, get back to playing at a championship level? I think that's the tipping point. At six, I think it could be easy to get a guard to protect Andrew Luck. Um, Seven, eight. Um, I think the last tipping point is what does San Francisco do at nine? Uh, obviously, the news with Reuben Foster being charged with uh, three felony charges 
on a, a case out of Santa Clara may change the – Yeah, linebacker makes a lot of sense for them for a lot may of May change the equation the in terms one. of what they're having to do. So Tremaine Edmonds is a guy that can play outside but also looks like he's capable of playing inside. He's a good fit at, at nine. And then Roquan Smith just giving the Raiders a second-level defender that can run and chase. Made sense. I like that. For the, uh, for the rest of the mock draft, go to NFL.com. Uh, slash mock drafts. You can also go NFL.com slash predict the pick. That's where you get to go make your own mock draft. <laughs> Send those in, by the way. Uh, Bucky reads all of them. Just I would at love Bucky Brooks. I would get love yourself it. a mock draft. I would love and it. Get on Twitter and let, send them. Let me see it. I'll grade it. I can throw some grades up. Yeah. I can give smiley faces and various emojis. emojis. Yeah. There you go. I can, I can throw those things up there. Oh, yeah. Maybe we, yeah. Poop emoji. I wish all I wish them. you could almost do like a pool, like a uh, a March Madness pool. For <laughs> Somebody was tweeting at us earlier. About not not yeah, like not no. I don't need to know if not for money, just pride, just to move the sticks. All the listeners get a chance to put their mind together and see who can knock it out of the park. Yes, yes, I would love to. I love to do that. That that'd be fun. I'll look into that for sure because I, I feel like we have a, a decent fan base that would that oh, would do I got, really well. Here's how we get around it. Here's how we do it. Yeah, you you do your uh, predict the pick mock draft. You take the image of it, right? Mm-hmm. You tweet it out, so then we'll have a, a date that we know exactly mm-hmm. when you tweeted it out. And then after the draft's over, you think you did well, you send us the original tweet oh, that's, that's time-stamped, right. and we'll there know if, how, how well you did. We can check off some boxes. I like that. You like that? I like that. Challenge yourself. You here. like that? I think uh, we actually still have that. Yeah. You like that? There you go. You like that? Nice. Kirk Cousins. <laughs> Kirk Cousins making an appearance. All right, let's get to our, our press conference here. This is a thing we do every year, or Bucky and myself. We sit here and uh, take some questions from media around the country. We got a fancy moderator, the whole deal. It's really a big shindig here. Uh, so we'll, let, we'll go ahead and roll that right now. You can listen to uh, us field some draft questions here for a little bit. A day of Sam Darnold's pro day on March 21st. I remember you guys talking on the air afterward, and we're pretty confident um, that he was going to be the pick for the Browns at number one. A couple of days ago, I was watching you guys on, I think it was Tuesday evening, and uh, you know the, the Josh Allen talk started to pick up. So, where do you guys stand with that now? Uh, do you still view Darnold as the favorite there at one? And can you analyze the decision John Dorsey and the Browns face there? You know, picking a guy uh, like Darnold versus Allen, who obviously there are probably more questions about. Yeah, I'll I'll jump on this one first, Buck, and you tackle it. The uh, to me, look, the the challenge in in what we're doing is you got to separate what we think should happen and what you're hearing. And to me, I've been on record for a long time saying I think Sam Donald should be the pick for the Cleveland Browns. I think he's the right guy there. I you know personally think he's the best quarterback in this class, and I think he's at 20 years old is just scratching the surface of what he can do. So. That, to me, uh, coupled with him going through the process, he didn't throw at the combines. So it was, a, you know, we'll see him at the pro day. And I thought it was a, a lights-out pro day in the rain. You know, I, look, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a snowstorm. But it was, you know, you want to see how he spun the ball. And, and it was wet out there. It was raining pretty good. And I thought he did a great job. You look up in the stands and you see his, his parents sitting with the, the owner of the team. And uh, I think a lot of us just said, this is done. This is over. I mean, he's, he's, uh, he's the guy. Um, so that's what I thought at that time, and that's what I would have done and I still would do. But just in talking to people around the league for the last, uh, I would say, really picked up in the last week, it's just a lot of people, are, you know, not from inside the building, stress that, but there's just a lot of people telling me, hey, I think it's, I think it's going to be Josh Allen. You know, they've worked with, it's either guys that have worked with John Dorsey or, or guys that are familiar with that room and that process 
they think that uh, that that makes more sense for him with Josh Allen being more of an upside pick than a floor pick. And Josh Allen is not there right now, but maybe you feel Tyrod can can buy you enough time before Josh Allen is ready. I think it's a uh, you know I think it's I think it's a risk, no question. I think the pick should be Sam Darnold, and at this point in time, none of us know who it is. I just know that it's not a uh, it's not a slam dunk. Just talking to people around the league, that's the sense that I get, Buck. I think when you connect the dots with John Dorsey and his past, the reason why you're hearing some of the conversation and connection to Josh Allen is simply because John Dorsey spent a lot of his formative time in the league in Green Bay when Brett Favre was the quarterback, big, strong-arm thrower, a guy that could really throw off-platform, could make improvisational plays, and really make up for a lot of things with his exceptional arm talent. Um, and then when you go back and you look at his draft history and some of the guys that he's taken, he has a long track record of going for projection and potential over production. If you go back to last year, he took Patrick Mahomes over a Deshaun Watson. Um, and you look at Patrick Mahomes' game compared to Josh Allen's games, there are a lot of similarities. Uh, tremendous arm talent, athleticism, the ability to play off platform. So it's easy to see why John Dorsey would like that. And also, if you dig even deeper, his first pick with the Kansas City Chiefs, he took Eric Fisher over Luke Jokel. Um, Eric Fisher was a bit more of a projection coming from Central Michigan. Um, he opted to go for athleticism and upside over a guy who was deemed to be a little more polished in Jokel. And so when you go and you, you kind of check off all the boxes in terms of projecting what the Browns may do, it appears that Josh Allen could be that pick because they're trying to knock it out the park based on what Josh Allen could be as opposed to what he hasn't been to this point. Now, I would say this. In looking at Cleveland, I would think that Sam Darnold would be a better player for Cleveland just in terms of what I've seen from Sam Darnold on tape. I've seen him shine in big games. I've seen him um, display the the it factor and the leadership qualities that you want to see when the team is down. Uh, early in the year, we talked to Clay Helton, and he said the job of a franchise quarterback is to give everybody else on the field hope. I think you've seen that hope and optimism play out when he's had the ball in his hands with the game on the line. With Josh Allen, I do see the traits that you want, prototypical size, outstanding arm talent, and athleticism. The one thing that I'm having a tough time getting past would be the low completion percentage and the underperformance in big games. When you look at his track record against Power 5 schools, it's hard to kind of justify or explain a guy who has one touchdown, eight interceptions, and three appearances against Power 5 schools. To me, if you're taking someone number one, there has to be a signature game or some moment where you feel like he's the best player on the field, and I just haven't seen that to date with Josh Allen. Two things. One, uh, do you feel like any of these quarterbacks fits the Bills best in particular, or lots of them fit the bills. And then the second part is, uh, you know, when you talk about selling the farm, the Rams sold the farm for Jared Goff, two ones, two twos, two threes. So whatever, you know, selling the farm, you're a GM. Which quarterbacks would you sell the farm for in this draft, if any? Um, I I think with the bills, I think just kind of a two-pronged question in terms of what I think fits in that locker room. Now, I haven't been in Sean McDermott's locker room. I have worked with some of the guys that work in that front office. And my sense in Buffalo is this is a team where culture is important. Whoever is the leader of the team needs to be a guy that is more of a blue-collar type, 
not necessarily a superstar, but a guy that is kind of a man's man when it comes to his leadership qualities, his intangibles, his work ethic, and the way he goes about his business. Um, I think the way that they play and the way that locker room is constructed very much reflects the way the town is in Buffalo and Western New York. Of the guys that we talk about at the top of the board, the guys that I think are the best fit from a personality standpoint, I think Sam Darnold and Josh Allen would be the kind of guys that would fit in really well in that locker room at the top of the draft. Sam Donald is a guy who is an ultimate ultimate competitor, but when you're around him, he is humble. He kind of goes about his business. He just kind of goes to work. I get the same sense when I'm around Josh Allen. Um, I have kind of compared him to Cam Newton in terms of his talent is Cam Newton, but you don't get the extra stuff that may come along with Cam. So I could see where he could fit because Sean McDermott has been around a talented guy, very similar in Cam Newton and Josh Allen. I can see where that works, especially because his personality favors. The one other guy that I would throw in there, not necessarily at the top of the board, but I would say a guy like a Mason Rudolph could be a fit just because his intangibles, his leadership quality, his experience, um, the way that he goes about his business on and off the field, to me, strikes a balance with what the Buffalo Bills are trying to establish. Yeah, I, I agree with all that. To me, the uh, the Bills, where they're situated right now and with the capital they have and with this particular class of quarterbacks, um, I, I almost I don't want to say they're pot committed, but I think at this point in time, you're, you're, you've got the ammunition to try and get up there. I think you have to do it. Um, those would be the two that I would go after. You know, For, for that fit, I would say uh, Sam Donald to me would be a no-brainer. Um, if, he, if you have an opportunity to go up there and get him, you do it. Um, Josh Allen... I wouldn't. Gosh, I'd have a little bit harder time with that. I might stray from Bucky on that one and say maybe Josh Rosen, just because of the talent and the skill set, would be second for me in that group in terms of Buffalo coming up. But the names you hear over and over again, Josh Allen is is the top name you hear associated with Buffalo, and everybody talks about just kind of the size, the ruggedness, you know, playing in that division and that weather, all that good stuff. um, That he would fit there. It's just going to take a little time before you can uh, you can get him out there on the field. Uh, but I just think where they are right now, having the capital they do, um, you, you're not doing all this homework on these guys for nothing. I, I, I would be surprised if they're not efforting uh, very much so to try and get up there and get one of these guys. And sell the farm, Daniel? Would you go, if you're the GM of whatever team, would you sell the farm for a couple of these guys? Um, I would sell the farm for Sam Darnold. I would probably sell the tractor and some yard tools uh, for, uh, for, for Rosen, and, uh, and that would be uh, the difference there. This question is, I guess, for both of you, and it's more of a philosophical question uh, about, you know, roster building um, through the draft. The Eagles have done a very good job, obviously, over the last few years in terms of not having the draft for, for need and not really having the draft for um, immediate need. Uh, they're, they're drafting for the future now uh, every time they, they go out there. So I, I guess my question uh, to you guys, I mean, uh, DJ, obviously you know the Eagles pretty well. I mean, what areas do you think that they – might be likely to dress, uh, you know, obviously they only have a first-round pick and they don't have one on two and three, although I think at some point they may get them. But uh, what what areas do you think, uh, using that philosophy, they could address in, in this year's draft uh, based on need, contracts, the importance of the position? And is there any p- potential pitfalls uh, to this approach? Well, look, I think they put themselves in pretty good shape. I mean, they, they don't have uh, they don't have a situation where they're in dire need at one position or the other. Now, they have some age, and you mentioned some contracts. I think that definitely factors in. Um, I would expect the focus to be early on on the offensive side of the ball. 
Um, and you can look at, you know, I, I know the, the signing of Richard Rodgers is a, you know, is a nice move there to kind of get a compliment to Ertz. You're hoping he's going to go back to the form he showed a couple years ago. But I still think tight end is a legitimate option there. Uh, I wouldn't, you know, running back, having another running back, you don't know. Uh, JHI in terms of the long term, what you have there, and they showed last year having a bunch of guys you could roll through there was uh, was valuable. So you know you get a guy, um, you know Sony Michelle, Darius Geis, somebody like that. You look at Dallas Goddard, Hayden Hurst. Those make sense at those two positions. And you know, look, the the challenge is I I would think you'd love to get a tackle to have another tackle, even though Vi played great last year with Peters out. Um, with with uh, Peter's age, I think you'd like to add another you know backup swing tackle with some upside there. I just don't think there's going to be one with with any value where they're picking. So uh, that, those would be the areas I think they would focus. Receiver would be another one. I just think offensive side of the ball makes sense. And truthfully, I believe they're out of day two. Right? They don't have a two. They don't have a three. Uh, it no. might it might make sense with the depth at those positions that we're just talking about for them to get out of the first round, trade back a little bit, see if they can't get some extra picks to look at those needs. I think the big thing, uh, we've talked about it, when you're uh, this defending Super Bowl champion and you have a roster like the Eagles have, you can sit and really just um, take the luxury pick of the best player available at that time. But if you look at their history, they like to get big players, um, offensive, defensive linemen, guys that can really solidify the foundation of that house. And so Daniel talked about offensive tackle. I believe if there's an offensive tackle that – unexpectedly falls to them at the bottom of the first round, I think they would jump on that. I think being able to um, have some forethought when it comes to what do you do with Jason Peters as he gets older? Can you have a replacement already in the hopper, someone that you can develop on the side without the pressure of putting him on the field? That is the best way for teams to kind of stay at the top level. So I would expect to see the Philadelphia Eagles, if it works, find an offensive lineman that helps them. It's uh, again, is, is there any pitfalls to to always drafting for down the road? Like, and do you find you get like in this? Uh, do you take a dogmatic approach to to only take guys that we know? You know, like in Sidney Jones' case, um, you know, that's a guy that you know that won't play right away. And then maybe in some of these other cases, you're you're taking guys that you think are developmental guys more than guys that you think can step in right away and, and fill a need. It's a luxury just not having to address, you know, a particular need. So you can take some of those risks or be patient with some of those guys. So that's that's the look. It's the benefit of having a great roster is you got the flexibility there with your choice. Yeah, not only that, um, you really can stick to the premise of just taking the best player available. There could be an unexpected slide uh, for a blue chip player that lands right in their lap, and you have the opportunity to take him. And then just kind of see where he fits in. And then if you have a surplus at a certain position, you then can trade off one of those assets to get something that you may need in return. We saw them do that uh, a couple of seasons ago when they traded off, traded away Sam Bradford to get some other stuff back. So that's what you want to do. As long as you take good players, you always have the luxury of making your roster right. Thanks, Dad. Yeah, I know it's tough to pick a player for a team picking at 25, but what's the best-case scenario for the Titans at, uh, at number 25 in this NFL draft? Ooh, that's a, that's a, that's a good one. Uh, man, I, I'll tell you what, who I, who I just love as a, as a football player is James Daniels. Um, yeah, I just love what he brings to the table from Iowa. I think he's a plug-and-play center. I think he can play either the guard spots if you wanted him to. But I think for, you know, having a young quarterback, having a young center that can grow with him, I think there's a lot of value there. 
Uh, I'd be a big fan of that pick, Buck. You know, I think when you look at the background of the head coach and you look at the age that the Tennessee Titans have um, at edge rusher, I think having an edge rusher that can come and play. The trick will be philosophically what do they want in terms of your edge rusher. Do you want a big physical guy that has typically been the New England way? Um because ideally, I would say, oh, a guy like Harold Landry would fit. But when I look at his physical dimensions, he may not be that classic pick at that point. I think having a guy with some versatility, maybe not necessarily in the first round, but maybe in the, the bottom of the first, top of the second, if they move back, a guy like Sam Hubbard, who offers some versatility given his background and length. Um, I think the big thing for the Tennessee Titans is they have made strides. This is a playoff team. Is trying to find a, a piece or two that can push them over top. But I do believe they have to find another pass rusher to have in the pipeline with Derek Morgan and Brian Arekpo both being up in years. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Hey, guys, as you, as you look at the Jets at number three, presuming uh, Darnold is gone, I think I guess that's a safe presumption. How do you assess the scheme fit of those other three guys, Rosen, Mayfield, and Allen? I guess based on what we know, maybe what Jeremy Bates might do in the Shanahan mold, how would you assess the scheme fit of those um, those three quarterbacks who are potentially there for them at number three? If I had to rank him in order in terms of scheme fit, I would say Rosen, Mayfield, then Allen. Uh, if you go back and you look at Jeremy Bates' history, uh, his time when he had the chance to work with Jay Cutler, I view Josh Rosen as a guy that's very, very similar to Cutler in terms of the way that he connects with his coaches, the way that he interacts, and the way that he has a high IQ. I think Jeremy Bates in a West Coast system, I think Josh Rosen would be perfect and ideal. I think uh, Baker Mayfield would also be ideal in that system because both guys are very accurate. Both guys get the ball out. Both guys throw a great touch, timing, and anticipation. I think they there's a separation between those two and what Josh Allen does. Josh Allen, to me, is more of a vertical thrower, a guy that wants to kind of play deep ball, football, push it down the field. And I just think when you've looked at how Jeremy Bates has traditionally played or wants to play, um, the guys that can kind of spread around the yard horizontally and a little vertically are the guys that are better fits. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Rosen and Mayfield make a lot of sense when you talk about scheme fit there. I just – when I look at, at Baker Mayfield and the fit there, I, it's not even really with uh, with Jeremy Bates, but I just look at when you look at the decision makers and you look at quarterbacks that haven't worked out there with the Jets, I think you can find Baker Mayfield kind of being that polar opposite. So to me it goes a little bit of that. It's almost you fire a coach, you hire the exact opposite of what you just fired. Uh, Baker Mayfield makes some sense there. Yeah, guys, I wanted to ask the two of you about uh, Boise linebacker Leighton Vandresh. Uh what are the chances of him being on the board at 32 when the Eagles pick? And while I know both of you seem to be leaning towards them going offense since they don't have a pick in the second or third round, what would be your reaction to them taking him at 32 and how he might fit in Schwartz's defense? Yeah, I, mean, I have a, as a 28th player uh, overall for me, and I think he's pretty scheme-diverse. When you have the, the size and athletic ability that he has, I think you could play him in just about any defense and he'd fit in and be fine. Um, I, there's, there's a lot of buzz on him, so read, read into that what you will. I would say less likely that he's there when they're picking uh, down there at 32. It seems to be a little bit more buzz on him. It's just hard to find guys that can run like that, that have that type of size and, and versatility. Uh, the one thing, I know there's some, some durability stuff, some questions that exist out there. 
I'm not privy to all that medical information, so that would be one reason he could potentially fall to him. Uh, I think when you, you you would love it if you're the Philadelphia Eagles if he falls to you at 32. The problem is you have some teams where he would be a really, really good fit. You look at New Orleans, you look at Pittsburgh, New England. His versatility, his athleticism, his prototypical traits would lead me to believe that he's going to be off the board at that time. He would fit in well with Jim Schwartz's scheme. It's just a matter of if the Eagles really, really feel – good about him and his potential fit I believe they would have to move up to get him because I can't see him just falling to them at 32 thanks guys greetings Bucky and Daniel could you all uh, take turns on the Georgia guys I guess Roquan will be the top one then uh, Lorenzo Carter and then the running back Chubb and Michelle where where are you all projecting uh, the Georgia Bulldogs to go here in the draft I'll uh, I'll take the defensive guys, Buck. You want to take the running backs? Okay. I mean, Roquan Smith to me is uh, he's so easy to love when you look at everything he brings to the table. And I think interview wise and teams doing their background on him, um, I, I think that puts him way up there. And to me, you look at the Bay Area teams nine and ten, uh, that makes a lot of sense for him there. And you look at uh, John Gruden having been around Derek Brooks, I would think he could see a little bit of Derek Brooks in a guy like Roquan Smith. So that would make some sense there. Um, and then when you get to Carter, uh, he's, he's, he's a little bit of a challenging evaluation because I think he's right now at this point in time, he's a better athlete than just pure football player. But when you talk about somebody that's 6'5", 250 pounds, that runs high 4'4", low 4'5", and uh, you watch the Notre Dame game especially, he's easy to, it's easy to see what he can become. He's not consistent right now. I, I have him more in the second round. I think I have him as my 48th player. But it wouldn't shock me if he was, you know, snuck into the bottom of one just because I talked about that edge rusher group not being all that great. But to me, he's a second-round type guy. Uh, D, when you look at the running backs, I think both of these running backs are outstanding. I think they're different stylistically, starting with Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb, to me, is an old-school downhill running back. Um, he's a guy that traditionally would have played in the 80s and 90s, come downhill, put him at the dot and the eye formation, and really – let him have 25 to 30 carries. I think in today's game, that is more of a niche role where you see those guys playing on first and second down. And because of that, I believe his value be depressed a little bit. I see him as maybe a solid second round back, um, a guy that kind of goes and joins a rotation, um, handles the early duties before giving away, giving way to uh, another back that can handle some of the things in the passing game. With Sony Michelle, uh, Sony is dynamic. He's explosive. He has proven to be a very, very effective runner and receiver. I think he would benefit from the Alvin Kamara comparison that many scouts have put on him. When you look at the impact that Kamara was able to have with the New Orleans Saints as a change of pace or matchup weapon, I think many offensive coordinators will view him like that. And because of that, I think he can go anywhere from the bottom of the first round to the top of the second round for a team that is looking for a chess piece to manipulate on the board. Thank you, gentlemen. What about Tevin Bryant to the Falcons at 26? Is that a, that's a fit for him, uh, but is that too high of a projection for him or too low? No, I think that's right about the sweet spot for Tevin Bryant. I mean, he is he is a dynamic interior pass rusher. He does not know exactly what he's doing. But I always say with him, when you when you watch him, there's a lot of times where he wins the battle and loses the war because he, he will – beat the dude in front of him and it is it is wildly impressive he just got to do a little better job of finding the football and, and making more plays but I have him as a 24th overall player so that's that's a good spot I think it's a really good spot if you go back and look at Dan Quinn's history he's done a really good job of taking guys that 
Uh, I think the Falcons use the term urgent athletes, explosive athletes that have some skills, have the athleticism and the burst to kind of make some things happen, and then they believe they can kind of coach up some of the other stuff. You put him in the center of that defense and allow him to kind of hunt quarterbacks, I think it adds something with Tack McKinley and Vic Beasley and some of the other guys that they have coming off the edges. Hi, guys. Uh, GM Bob Quinn recently said that there's kind of five or six guys that he's projected that will be there for the Lions at number 20. I just thought you guys maybe take your best guess at, at a guy who will be there at 20 or maybe a guy you think is, is a really good fit for the Lions if they stick there at 20 and, and, and are drafting. Oh, that's a good one. I, I would say, you know, five guys. Uh, one I would keep an eye on, um, I would say Will Hernandez would be an interesting one. Uh, I think he kind of fits the, the physical nature that they want to have there with that team, the guard from UTEP. I think he's outstanding. Uh, he would definitely be one I would put in the mix there. Uh, running back-wise, I would put Geis there. We've talked a little bit about Darius Geis, you know, being a potential option for them there. Uh, I think he's better than any back they have on campus right now. So uh, those would be two that, that come to my mind right away on the offensive side. I think on the defensive side of the ball, uh, obviously someone on the front four. Uh, if by chance Mo Davenport was to slip and fall a little bit, I think he'd be a great fit to either A, eventually replace Ziggy Ansah, or B, to put him on the opposite side of Ziggy Ansah to give them two pass rushers um, with some versatility that can come after the quarterback in a division that is kind of loaded with quarterbacks. Also, Mo Hurst from Michigan trying to find an interior pass rusher, someone that can create some havoc on the inside. We've seen how the game is evolving you want to make sure that you can be able to get someone in the A-gap that can disrupt and dis- disturb the timing of the passing game. So I think those two defenders could be in the mix for the Detroit line. I would add Tate and Brian in there as well. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Uh, hey, guys, for both of you, how has scouting safeties changed since you were a scout in the NFL? And then the second part to that question is, if you're the Steelers, who are some late first or late second round guys who might fit for them? Um, I'll tackle the first part of it. The way the game has changed, um, the game has become more uh, passing base. So what you're looking for from the safety has also changed. Before, you were looking for the big physical guy that could come and be the eighth guy in the box that could be a, an effective run defender and really make his play sometimes near the line of scrimmage. Now, with the uh, more teams going 11 personnel, one back, three wide receivers, you need those safeties to be able to play comfortably in space, to be able to have the skills to play in man-to-man and zone in open field, uh, have ball skills to be able to kind of turn the ball over while also still possessing those skills as tacklers and run defenders. It is really a hard job to find um, the right kind of guys that have that versatility. I think that's why you're seeing uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers and others take guys that are maybe oversized corners who may have a little movement deficiency and move them into safety like they were able to do with Sean Davis. I think what you're trying to do is find an athlete that is capable of doing all the things that you're asking them to do in the pass game while still having some of that toughness to defend and be a capable run defender. Yeah, three names that come to mind that, you know, when you're watching guys, and it was this way when I when, uh, worked in Baltimore, there were guys we watched and thought, okay, these guys kind of fit us. And really the Steelers were the same way. You say, okay, this guy, this is a Steeler type player. And it's one of the reasons they've been so consistent and successful for so long is that they know what they're looking for. Uh, but a couple Steeler guys, to me, Ronnie Harrison from uh, from Alabama, the safety, is a, is a classic Steeler-type player. Uh, he can play high. He can play low. He's a force player. He's smart. He's tough. 
he kind of reminds me of a Steeler. And his teammate, Rashawn Evans, the linebacker, who can play inside and outside, um, I think would be a nice player to plug into that defense. So those two Alabama defenders come to mind. And the other safety I would maybe throw in the mix as uh, you know, movement, free safety type would be Jesse Bates from Wake Forest, who's got incredible range and ball skills. Hey, guys, thanks for your time today. Um, the, the Lions running game has, has been a mess now for a number of years. Um, who do you think would be the best kind of fit to complement uh, what they have coming back in Abdullah and Riddick and obviously the addition of LeGarrette Bum as well? Well, I mean, I think you're trying to find ideally somebody that can do a little bit of everything. And, you know, Sony Michelle makes a lot of sense. I mentioned Darius Geis a little bit earlier. Those would be the two, I think, that would be in the mix there. If you wanted to take one in the first round, I think those would be your two options. Ronald Jones from USC is just – he's had a poor offseason, so he has not helped himself at all. He's been a little bit nicked up and uh, was not impressive at his uh, makeup pro day the other day. Didn't catch the ball well in limited opportunity as, uh, at the first pro day. So I think it, just talking to folks, his his stock has taken a little bit of a hit, but the two I would I would say would be in play in the first round, do everything guys, would be uh, would be Darius Geis and Sony Michelle. I think you didn't even break it up even farther. When you look at their team, they appear to have a lot of, outside of LeGarrette Blunt, more of the smaller type, scat back types, Theo Riddick and Amir Abdullah are small. You like to kind of think of them as uh, pass-catching running backs. I'm sure they would like some size, and I think if you think in size in a traditional sense, DJ's talked about Darius Geis and those other guys, but if you go into the second and maybe third round, Nick Chubb being a guy that can do what – LeGarrette Blunt will probably be asked to do for them. He fits. I think a guy that is uh, underrated but hasn't been talked about a lot, I think Royce Freeman from Oregon is a guy that if you think about maybe the third or so round for a back that has some value, that has some size and toughness but also some pass-catching steals, he could be that guy. And I think somewhere in the mix you have to consider Rashad Penny from San Diego State because he is a bigger back who can also do all of the things that you typically ask your number one running back to do, run it inside and outside and catch the ball in the passing game. Could you break down Vita, Via and Deron Payne for me and, and uh, let me know which one you like a little bit more? Sure. Uh, I'll jump into those guys real quick. Just to tell you where I have them, I have Vita Vea as my 11th guy, um, and I have Deron Payne a couple spots down there at 18. So I gave uh, Vita a little bit higher grade. I was in Baltimore when we drafted Haloti Nada, was, was covering the West Coast during that time, and he is he reminds me so much of Haloti. You, you play him up and down the line of scrimmage. They move him all over the place. Uh, he's got a nasty hump move as a pass rusher. You can see that physical power. You watch him just stack and toss – offensive lineman, the Stanford game especially, is just nasty. He can really roll his hips, and he's got tremendous uh, power there as a run defender. And I think he does have upside as a pass rusher. You just look at his athleticism. Uh, we talk about ta- making a tackle on punt coverage. He's blocked a punt. I remember watching Haloti block a punt against Arizona. So he reminds me of Haloti Nada. I have him as the 11th player. And then Deron Payne, uh, the production hasn't all always matched the ability but uh, he is strong. He's athletic. You, you watch the Clemson game and see the interception he has there. He shows that off a little bit. Really quick hands. Um, I think he's got a little bit of stiffness in his in his ankles. That that's a, one of the only knocks I had on him. But he plays hard and he's a, he's a really intriguing player. So uh, I think he's got a little more to offer as a pass rusher as well. I think both these guys are going to show you more in that regard at the next level. I think both guys are really really good. Um, I can back up DJ's assessment of Vita Vea. Uh, you just don't see guys that are that size to have the athleticism and movement skills. We were there at the Fiesta Bowl, watch him come down on punt and make a tackle. Um, he offers something that you just can't find, a big guy who's a run stopper who may be able to do more than just become a pocket pusher 
in the passing game. I think De'Ron Payne, it, it really depends on which De'Ron Payne shows up uh, on your doorstep because he's talented. We saw him dominate throughout the college football playoffs, not only against the run, but also with consistent presence as a pass rusher. If that guy shows up, that guy could be a difference maker. I think if you're the Washington Redskins and you're having to consider between both guys, it really comes down to fit and scheme. I think both of these guys fit. I think you can really uh, be happy with both of those guys as interior players being able to get it done in your defense. Uh, yeah, the Dolphins have made, obviously, a lot of turnover this offseason, and I just wanted to hear you guys' thoughts of where you think they might go and pick number 11, also somewhere um, in the second and third round as well. I think the main thing with for the Miami Dolphins, you've heard Adam Gase talk about adding more alpha dogs to the locker room. And so before we can even talk about what they need and what positions they need to fill, I think the personality that they bring in may be a little different than what they brought in in the past. I think you can find guys who have – leadership qualities on their resumes, guys that were team captains, guys that were proven leaders, uh, vocal and otherwise. Um, when you break down to what they need, sitting at um, 11, there are a couple of different ways to go. And a lot of it depends on what happens early in the draft. We talked about the run on quarterbacks. Is this the time where the Miami Dolphins feel like they need to jump in the quarterback market? So many of us have kind of tried to connect the dots and put Baker Mayfield to the Miami Dolphins, partially because he is an alpha dog personality he does have some skills that would appear to be enhanced and elevated by working with Adam Gay so um, when you think about what they have in Ryan Tannehill he's a little different gives them a little more bite at the position when it comes to leadership if you're thinking about that offensive line and what they may do a lot of it depends on where Quentin Nelson falls if they have an opportunity to get a mix I think the main thing you're looking for is probably place a premium more on personality than fit I think they're trying to get the culture right in Miami yeah, it, look, it, normally you see a changeover, you know, in quarterback when you have a changeover in coach. Those things kind of go together, and you're going to change the whole philosophy. There's been so much change in Miami, moving so many guys out. This is kind of a unique opportunity for the same coach to kind of change the whole setup here. Uh, not only, uh, you know, some of those key players going out the building, but maybe going out and finding that next quarterback. When I look at where they're positioned in this draft – I think it makes more sense for them to move, and you can make a case, is it moving up for, for the eventual quarterback replacement of Tannehill, or is it if you want to go with the offensive line, I think it would make sense for them with the interior depth in this draft to maybe slide back a little bit and get an extra pick or two. So uh, it will see. Maybe they'll stick there at 11 to me. When you look at their needs, it makes more sense to move one way or the other. This is also more of a kind of a philosophical question. When you have the teams that are drafting as high as they are who expect to get – someone who'll go ahead and sort of change that franchise for a number of years. Do you think that a pick like Barkley or Chubb or Nelson, a non-quarterback, can go on to have as much impact as a quarterback? Um, I, I think they can. I think it depends on if the pieces are right. I think if you just go and look at the last two drafts and you look at the running backs taken in the top five, Ezekiel Elliott was the rushing leader. You saw him help the Dallas Cowboys go immediately from being a team that was on the outside of the tournament to being a team that was a division winner and squarely in the mix as a contender. You look at Leonard Fournette and what his presence did for the Jacksonville Jaguars offense. Yeah, he alleviated some of the pressure on Blake Bortles to have to be a guy that was kind of driving – the bus when it came to that offense. So, yeah, a position player outside a quarterback can certainly be impactful. I think it really depends on the way the team is constructed. So I'm not necessarily all on board that the quarterback is the only guy that can move the needle for a squad. 
No, I, I agree with Bucky. You can find guys in there, especially if you if you have a satisfactory option at quarterback that can come in and have an immediate impact. I just think from a long-term uh, game plan situation of trying to be competitive year in and year out, having a great quarterback is going to be the best path to get that done. And ultimately, you know, trying to win a championship, which is everybody's goal, you hit the jackpot when you can get a rookie quarterback, uh, get that five-year rookie deal at those controllable numbers and build up the rest of your roster, not having to go out and, and, and pay a ton of money in, on the market to try and find a, a bridge quarterback. It's cheaper. Just get yourself a, a quarterback in the draft and try and load up everywhere else. But once you get that position taken care of, it sure makes everything else a lot easier. So, like, if you're the Giants at two and you draft one of the non-quarterbacks and that player goes on to have success, but they are also going to be in the market for a quarterback as soon as this year or certainly in the future with Eli's advancing age, you think they'd have any buyer's remorse if they pass up some of these quarterbacks who go on to have success while still having someone at a different position who also has a successful career? I guess it depends on how they view Eli Manning in the building. Um, David Gelderman and Pat Sherman believe, or they've said that they believe Eli has a couple of good years. So if during those few remaining years that he has, if they play at a high level, they go to a Super Bowl, I think it's well worth the trade-off. I think the big thing comes to, now that you made the decision that Eli is going to be your guy, how can you support him and elevate him? Much like the New Orleans Saints were able to continue to keep Drew Brees playing at a high level by surrounding him with talented players. We saw the running backs kind of take some of the load off. We saw Mike Thomas be able to do some things. In New York, it is about trying to find the right weapons to allow Eli to play at a high level while his skills are beginning to diminish. I don't think you ever fully uh, regret taking a great player from, from that standpoint. Um, you worry about the guys you pick. So I, I don't think there would be tremendous regret there. I just think when you look at the opportunity that exists right now, man, it's tough to, uh, you know, you got a 37-year-old quarterback and you've got a pretty good group and you're picking up there with a chance to get one. Uh, it's tough to pass, in my opinion. Guys, guys, actually, that's the perfect segue, that last question on my question, which is you both touched on something in your opening statements. I think, Daniel, you said something about uh, – about the giant or Bucky, you said something about the uh, about pro, maybe Pro Bowl caliber players slipping down because of the quarterbacks. So if you could expand on that, and if you think it's worth the Giants trading down to get a uh, Quentin Nelson or uh, Bradley Chubb lower in the top ten, and then Daniel, you said something too about uh, edge rushers and offensive tackles being. Uh, weak spot in this draft, and obviously the Giants need both of those. So would you prioritize that then in the first round if you were them so that you didn't have to worry about it in two or three? If I'm the New York Giants, I don't um, necessarily get cute at number two. I know it could be beneficial to get a boatload of picks and to do those things. I think it depends on how far out of the top five do I have to go to take advantage of those picks. When you think about the players that could be at the top of the board, or Bradley Chubb, or Saquon Barkley, Evia Quentin Nelson, if you really love those guys, I think you stick and pick. You pick those guys, you deal with the onslaught of criticism that may come with not taking a quarterback or not trading down and, quote-unquote, manipulating the draft. I think the main thing, if you're the Giants, you have to get a guy like they said, someone who would be the number two pick in draft after draft after draft, I'm going to go with the, the Pro Bowl caliber player over trying to get cute and make some sexy moves. Yeah, I, I would just say the only difference, I know Bucky had referenced earlier the 2011 draft. I would say that year people were trying to create quarterbacks that didn't exist. 
um, trying to create guys that should have been third, fourth round guys, and they were taking them in the top 15 when you look at Ponder and Gabbert. Uh, those guys, especially a Locker, was in that group. I think there's a difference between creating a quarterback and maybe elevating a quarterback. You know, like in this situation, I have Sam Darnold as the fifth highest graded player in the draft. So you have to ask yourself, is it worth, you know, you take the second, the number one player in the draft is Saquon Barkley. It's a running back versus the number five player, which is a quarterback. So to me, the value of that position is is worth you know, if you need one, taking the quarterback in that spot. I, I do think it's different from 2011 in that regard. I think these guys are a much better crop of quarterbacks. Um, the other the other question, you're always looking at the depth of the class when you're trying to make your decisions. So the lack of, of edge rusher, elite edge rushers, to me, that that is going to help a guy like Bradley Chubb because I think there's a drop-off after him. And then, uh, and then after that, you've really only got a couple more guys with first-round grades in Davenport uh, in Landry. So uh, that definitely elevates those guys. Offensive tackle, I don't know if it has as much of an impact because I don't think there's one worth a top 20 pick. I have those guys down a little bit further. Hi, guys. Even as we've had you know successful running backs drafted in the last few years, it still seems like there's been so much talk about how the position continues to be devalued. Do you guys sense that philosophies on drafting running backs are changing and that maybe teams are willing to wait longer and when you look at that second tier of running backs behind Saquon Barkley, is it possible that someone like a Ronald Jones, who I know you mentioned earlier, could potentially fall as teams you know, think, hey, I can wait to get a guy like that in the third, fourth round? I think it's absolutely the case because, you, look, Kamara is the guy we talked about last year. I think all of us, you know, I know, uh, I know myself, Bucky, I know Mike Mayock, I know a lot of teams I talked to had first-round grades on him. We had him in the 20s, and he fell to the third round. And I guarantee you that even though that happened, he ended up having a tremendous year, obviously. I guarantee there's some teams that passed on him in the second round or the early third round that wish they wouldn't have. And so um, I think there's a chance it still happens. But I also think there's a, there's an understanding. At the end of the day, when you're picking players, um, you want to finish you want to finish the three days of the draft and look down at your list of the guys you picked and be excited about them. And so I think you can get a little bit carried away with the depth of this running back class, for example. If you have huge grades on Sony Michelle and you're picking at the bottom of the first round or top of the second round, even though you like a guy like Mark Walton, uh, on Johnson later on, if you have conviction in the entire room, I think you just take him. I don't think you get cute, as to use Bucky's word there. Yeah, I, th- I think that's the big thing. This year, this draft class is deep at running back. And so normally when you see a depressed market, it's due to supply and demand. Um, the supply is great this year. There are a number of running backs that will be drafted in the second, third, fourth round that can have outstanding uh, contributions on their new teams. Um, a lot of the success of running backs that are drafted later really comes down to fit and scheme. How do these guys fit in the scheme that they're playing? How do the coaches deploy them? We saw that with Alvin Kamara. We even saw it with Kareem Hunt. Um, I do believe that there are guys that are worthy of being in the first round. I believe Saquon Barkley is a first-round talent. I would say that Darius Geis and Sonny Michelle are also guys that are worthy of being taken in the first round. Um, it just comes down to how do people value them. And when you're in the room, you also have to know that you are weighing what is at the running back position versus other positions. And if another position is shallow, they don't have as much depth, you will always opt to get a top player at that position because you feel like you can come back and get a comparable talent at a position that is loaded like running back. Does Ronald Jones make sense as one of those guys who could, you know, it could fall because of that, because teams are waiting, especially given the 
the off season that he's had. Oh, I I, I I definitely think so. If if you had to ask me right now, how many running backs go in the first round? I, st- I actually think there'll be three. I think Barkley, Geis, and Sony Michelle are going to go in the first round. I think that uh, it wouldn't shock me, you know, if Ronald Jones went early in the second round. But it, it wouldn't shock me if you saw a little bit of a drop there because that next pack of guys with Ronald Jones, Nick Chubb, Rashad Penny, uh, on Johnson, that's a good group. So I, I think those first three have kind of separated themselves. And then after that, I think you'll see that order vary. And, uh, yeah, I mean, some of these guys you're going to you know think are early second-round picks. They might be there in the late third round. Hey, guys. Um, I want to get your take on the quarterback conversation around Baltimore right now. You know, I know, Daniel, you put out there you know a little while ago you know, the the possibility of the Ravens taker Baker Mayfield. Uh, now there's talk of Lamar Jackson. What's your what's your guys' take on just the whole quarterback conversation in the first round for the Ravens? Well, I think it's something that you have to consider. Um, the the level of play at the quarterback for the position for the Ravens has has not been up to par the last few years. And you can look at the supporting cast, um, but uh, you know, look, some of that is legitimately that criticism is legitimate uh, of Joe Flacco. So. You bring in RG3, um, I don't know that that's going to you know move the needle all that much, but I think you do your homework on this group of quarterbacks, no question. And it goes back to, again, what I was talking about earlier, if you can hit on a first-round quarterback and live off that rookie number, you can build up the rest of your roster pretty quick. You can afford to re-sign guys on your own squad. You can afford to be a little bit more active in free agency. So there's a lot of value in, uh, in finding a quarterback. I don't know where they're situated right now. Lamar Jackson, I think they'd have a shot at him there. Uh, but if they wanted one of the other guys, I think they'd have to they have to be willing to go up. Yeah, I think it's interesting watching what the Baltimore Ravens are going to do at quarterback. If you look at what Joe Flacco will command, I think they can get out from up under his contract and uh, save maybe eighteen and a half million in savings in twenty nineteen. Um, you look at the coaching staff that is currently there: Marty Mornwig and Greg Roman. Uh, when it comes to Lamar Jackson in particular, they have experience dealing with athletic quarterbacks. So some of the fascination and intrigue could be in thinking how can we rebuild this offense around a dynamic quarterback while also having an athletic backup quarterback already in the building in RG3. If it's not Lamar Jackson, when you think about Baker Mayfield and some of the other guys could play, it is about finding guys that can play in that West Coast system that Marty Mornwick has traditionally done. Joe Flacco, in and, and, and all honesty, he's a deep ball player he's a guy that is a vertical threat and he's really not a perfect fit for what they currently do if they're not satisfied with the way that he's performing they could look to find guys young guys that are better fits for how they envision that offense playing out in the next few years hey guys if i may uh, just pose a, a question on uh, different topics uh, and you can just pick, pick whatever yep. one you want to handle one was just on you mentioned vita vea I was just wondering, is there a moment on film that stands out to you as like just like displays his <laughs> kind of wow, you know, he's so big and he can do that, whether it's actual play or maybe where he even just lined up. And the other one was just a discussion about Harold Landry and Marcus Davenport. Do you see a clear um, distinction between those two guys as far as you know? This guy's clearly better. I'm thinking the Niners could use. They really don't have a Leo to speak, speak yeah. of, and I don't know if one of those guys would be a, a better fit in solid scheme or not. Thanks a lot. Sure. I mean, Haloti, we, we talked about it a little bit earlier. We were both, me and Bucky, were sitting next to each other at the Fiesta Bowl when he had the uh, made a tackle against Penn State on a punt, which is not something normal for a guy that was at that time over 350 pounds. 
Um, so that just showed you just how rare his athletic ability was. I go back. Um, you can watch him. I believe it was Oregon. You can watch him Stanford. I mean, he's just throwing guys all over the place. Uh, it is there's there's plenty of wow moments when you're studying him uh, on tape. There, no question. In terms of those two edge rushers, um, I think Bradley Chubb's clearly established himself at the top of the list. And then what you hit on is the debate that's taking place: Is it Marcus Davenport, um, or are you going to go with Harold Landry? W- what do you prefer there? Uh, to me, Davenport is not as polished as Landry as a rusher. But he's bigger, he's longer, he's more explosive. I think the upside with him is is greater. And uh, when he's been in a two point stance, you saw it at the Senior Bowl. He was very comfortable there, standing up. He can he can destroy tight ends in the run game, and then uh, he's got tremendous upside. But as a pure pass rusher, just if you were going to talk about third down, get after the quarterback, I would say Harold Landry has more tricks in his bag right now, Buck. Yeah, I, th- I think to go back to answer the question about Vita Vea, I think I was most impressed when I had a chance to glimpse at his highlight tapes from high school and watching him play running back. Um, when you go back and you're doing the deep dive on uh, prospects, whenever you can find something in their background that makes them a little unique, to have someone that size being able to tote the rock, you just don't see that kind of athleticism for a big man. Uh, as it relates to the debate between Landry and Davenport, it really comes down to what you prefer at the position. Davenport is bigger. He's fast. He's a little more explosive. Um, DJ is right. He is much more comfortable being a guy that can come out of a two-point stance. And if you hit on him and give him a little time, he quickly could develop into a guy that is a freak off the edge. And Harold Landry, um, I think you're getting a guy that understands the art of pass rushing. Um, He has some moves in his bag that are polished. Um, He can explode off the ball. He can dip and rip. And then you see the production from his junior season. It's easy to kind of fall in love with him in that regard. I think it comes down to, like, going to an ice cream shop. What flavor do you like? Both guys should be really, really good pros, though. Hi, guys. Uh, Just wondering, if you're in John Elway's position, how do you weigh taking a player who can help you right away, which is in line with his thought of life is too short to rebuild in the NFL, versus potentially finding a franchise quarterback there at five? Well, I think it comes down to your, you know, internal evaluation of of what you have at the quarterback position. And, you know, Case Keenum, bringing him in there. And if you if you think you can get Case Keenum to play at the level he played at last year, you know, he's 30 years old, I believe, right now. If you believe he can sustain that level of play, then I think you can address some other positions. Um, that's just the, the challenge that you have inside that building is where your comfort level is with him. I think there are some there, – there's an impact player that could they could get right there. They could plug in, and if they get solid quarterback play, they're right back in the postseason next year. So I think that would be tempting to me if you're asking what I would do there, especially because I think at five they could very well miss out on three and potentially even all four of the top quarterbacks the way this could come off the board. Here's the limit for the Denver Broncos if it plays out where you have to make a decision between uh, – future franchise quarterback and a position player. I think where their roster currently rests, they need to get an impact player right now. The defense is is coming back to the pack in terms of their level of dominance, so you want to capitalize that. If not, you want to spark that up. A pass rusher, um, another guy to go opposite Von Miller, a cover corner, someone that can step right in for what Aqib Tlaib was doing, that would help that defense continue to maintain that high championship standard. Uh, when it comes to quarterback play, I think they have proven that 
they've been good enough to win with a quarterback playing in a complimentary role. We saw that with Peyton Manning and Brock Osweiler doing their Super Bowl run. So I don't know if it's imperative that they have to upgrade that position, but I do know if they're going to play like that, they have to make sure that the other pieces of the puzzle are outstanding. Hey, Daniel, uh, late in the season last year for Auburn, you called uh, on Johnson when you were evaluating him a first-round talent. Obviously, he had injuries you know, mm-hmm. down the stretch of that season, but I'm wondering – uh, where do you think he, he fits right now? What what would be a good landing spot for him at the next level uh, in, in what you said was a really deep running back class? Yeah, no, look, he's a he's a really, really good player. He's uh, Right now I have him just outside my top 50. Really kind of a testament to just the overall depth of this class. I think he is a, a first-round caliber player that's going to go in the second round. Um, but, you know, to me, when you look at, at fits for him and where he could potentially go – he can do a little bit of everything, you know. When you look at the the short area quickness he has, the way he does, it, the way he holds up in pass protection, I thought was impressive. You can use him in the passing game and the screen game a little bit. Um, so there, there's a lot of options for him outside the uh, outside the first round. I don't think he lands in there. I'd keep an eye on the Giants even as a team if they don't get Saquon Barkley in the first round. Carry uh, on Johnson could be a nice fallback for them as as a good fit there. And I also want to ask both of you guys um, about what you thought about Carlton Davis, the, another Auburn player at cornerback, and kind of kind of where you see him fit into the next level and kind of his stock compared to the other cornerbacks in this class. Uh, there's a lot of buzz on Carlton Davis. I know there are a lot of uh, defensive back coaches that are high on him. Obviously, they love his size, his toughness, his grit, um, the way he plays the position on the island. And so anytime you can find bigger corners that can move and transition and kind of give you the toughness and tackling – that you see from him on the edge you like that for me I like just the competitive nature that he displays on the field I think he has a chance I don't think he sneaks into the bottom of the first round but I think he is a top of the second middle of the second round player I think somewhere in the top 50 hears he hears his name called yeah he was a tough one for me I, I ended up giving him kind of a late second round grade um, but, you know, you watch him against Georgia in their first meeting, I mean, you can see him press wide receiver straight out of bounds. He did it on multiple occasions. So he is physical up there in press. Uh, he can run. I thought he, he ran a little he, – he played a little bit faster than he timed. I think he ran a little 4-5, so I thought he played a little faster than that. He does play a little bit in the slot. I just thought he was a little leggy, which is uh, – is for taller corners, that's just kind of a scouting term that you see show up sometimes in, in some of the transition movement. I thought he was a little bit leggy and, and was a little bit uh, late there. Uh, so those were my concerns with him. But he's big, he's tough, and uh, he's got a chance to go, I think. I think he's going to go in the top 40 um, just because of position. And it wouldn't shock me if at the end of the day a, a press corner team snuck him in uh, into the bottom of the first round. That wouldn't totally shock me. Florida State's only had a couple of receivers drafted in the last decade, but it looks like Auden Tate is going to be the next one. What are kind of your thoughts on him and his potential at the next level? I mean, I, th- I think he's another one of those big-body playmakers that have come out of Florida State. Um, he has a lot of potential. He has the ability to really be a problem on the perimeter when you see him. I mean, 228 pounds is I mean, that's a big man on the outside. And so they have to play the game differently, kind of like Kelvin Benjamin has to play as a pro, um, has to come down and snag balls off the top of defenders' heads. He's going to be able to do that. The big issue with him, doesn't run fast enough. How fast is he? Can he separate? That would be the challenge for him at the next level. I think you're probably looking at a guy that goes in the third round, but he has the potential to outplay that draft status. Now, I think he could drop a little bit just because of speed, but dang, he's – 
darn near 6'5", 230 pounds. He reminded me of Funchess when Funchess was coming out of Michigan, and we've seen Funchess really develop into a good player there for the Carolina Panthers. He's a strider, um, but he's you know he does build some speed once he gets going. He's just not a fast starter, uh, but he's a red zone guy. So to me, I think he probably ends up, because of the, uh, the sheer number of wide receivers, he probably lands in that fourth, fifth round would be my guess in this draft. But it wouldn't surprise me if he's somebody that jumps in there and has, you know, six, seven touchdowns as a rookie, as a red zone guy. Yeah, hey, guys, with the Panthers at 24, most of the, the talk here locally has been the debate between do you go get Cam another weapon, be it at, at wide receiver, Daniel was just talking about uh, Funches, you know, or a tight end potentially, or do you do you kind of secure the back end where they've had a lot of uh, transition this year? Is, is that where you guys think the debate is? And if not, where else do you think they might look at 24? I think they have to go and get someone that can impact the passing game. Uh, when you look at Greg Olson, and you're already hearing the whispers that this might be it, this could be his last year, I want to make sure that I find another weapon for Cam Newton to have over the middle of the field. When you look at Cam's game and where he typically likes to target receivers he likes to work inside the numbers down the field i want to get him another guy so now we can put two tight ends on the field i can work both tight ends to make him very comfortable in this draft hayden hurst dallas goddard um, a little lower than that mike gasecki there are some talented guys that can create problems with their size and expand the strike zone for the quarterback i think it's essential for the panthers that they have enough big bodies on the field to be able to kind of make cam right when he is throwing the ball yeah, I, I, look, I think that's a, that's a strong case you can make there. I just think when you talk about building your team to win your division and you look at some of the passing attacks you've got to deal with inside that division, I think being able to find some, some more talent at the corner position uh, is, is definitely something you have to consider. Guys like Mike Hughes, Jair Alexander, uh, and Josh Jackson from Iowa, I would say those three guys specifically, uh, they got to sort those guys out and get comfortable with them because I think when you look at what's needed to win inside that division – you saw last year New Orleans and what they did when they went out and got a guy like Marshawn Lattimore, the impact he had on that defense. Uh, you know, I think Mike Hughes is a darn good football player. Same with Alexander. Uh, either one of those guys, to me specifically, would be uh, would be really good picks. I think one, one more thing to add. I think it would be interesting to watch what they do from a philosophical standpoint. Because Marty Herney is back there, they had always placed a premium on the front seven over the back end. And so when you look at what they have and what they've traditionally done, they haven't invested a whole, whole lot in the cornerback position because that front four looks pretty good. They may elect to add the weapon early and then come back in the second and third round, see if they can find a corner later on. Well, there you go. There's the, uh, there's the press conference in the books, Buck. We did not get any questions about Canadian football players for the first time. Normally we get one of those who's the top Canadian. I was ready. Uh, Nathan Shepard has Canadian background there at Fort Hayes State. I was ready for that question, and it did not come, unfortunately. No, really solid questions. Um, obviously, there's a lot of work that goes into what you and I do in terms of looking at prospects, trying to forecast what teams will do, and the like. So it's good to kind of share some of that information with some inquisitive reporters from respective fan bases to make sure that their fans kind of have an idea of what their team could do on draft day. No question. So that's uh – that is going to do it for this one. We have uh, the 360 series is rolling right along. The Baker Mayfield just dropped earlier this week. If you haven't checked that out, check it out. It's really, really fascinating. We've got coming up, I believe, only two left, right? We've got Josh Rosen and mm-hmm. Sam Darnold left to go. 
That's right. Only two left leading you up to the draft. Seven total, right? So we've yep. got five in the can right now. Do we have a URL where they can go check out all of them? Uh, just go to Move the Sticks uh, on, under Apple Podcasts, your favorite podcast app. You'll be able to find them all. Uh, okay. and, then, and then I'll tweet out again uh, periodically the, the uh, URL where you can go to YouTube.com and, and see all the best ofs. Okay. about seven to eight minutes. All right, cool. Well, that's uh, there's some good stuff out there, so be on the lookout for the next two episodes that are coming and catch up on ones if you might have missed them. Uh, that's going to do it for us today. Don't forget, NFL.com slash predict the pick. Take a picture. take Put it up. Tweet it, and then uh, we'll see how accurate you are on these. Do 100 of them. I don't care. Send us the one that ends up the best. Uh, Buck, anything else you want to add before we get out of here? No, no, no. Just getting exciting. One more week into draft time. Uh, we're almost there. NFL draft, it's coming. Uh, we've got all your draft needs covered. NFL.com slash, uh, what, what is our thing? <laughs> what is our thing? NFL.com slash MTS video. Thank you. That's yep. it. NFL.com slash MTS video. That guy. <laughs> we got predi- we've got we uh, got perfect pairings on there, too, for all the uh, for all the divisions. We're going through that, so you can check that out. All right, that's going to do it for us. He's Bucky Brooks. I'm Daniel Jeremiah. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for downloading Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. For more, go to nfl.com slash podcasts. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish spring body wash and bar soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.